welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is in the building. You know what starts this weekend, Bryce? NBA basketball. NBA basketball starts. Also, Killers of the Flower Moon got wide released this weekend. That was nice. Is that a movie? Yeah, that's the new Martin Scorsese movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. It was it was good. Three and a half hours. I don't know if I'm convincing you to watch that one. Hell but. no. Not a chance. <laughs> Not a, I might quit Game Theory Podcast if part of my contract says I have to watch a three and a half hour movie. I've watched a three and a half hour Leonardo DiCaprio movie. It's called The Titanic. It was fine. Uh, never again. Yeah, I don't know if I'm convincing you to watch this one. This one was great, though. It was very good. It was a genuinely like it's like a borderline masterpiece. I think like it's it's very close uh, if it's not. I want to see it again to know for sure. But really, this is the start of NBA this week. We've got a great opening night that I believe is on Tuesday in the United States, Wednesday here in Australia. The days always confuse me, as you know now, Bryce, after having dealt with me uh, for like two months now. We're excited. We're going to talk about NBA basketball basically throughout this entire week. So here is my plan. Today, we're doing Eastern Conference biggest question marks heading into the season. Some of these are good. Some of these are bad. Some of these are uh, just questions in general about where teams are heading. What is their direction? Everything like that. What do they need to learn about their season? I'm going to throw Bryce a curveball on the Pistons, for instance, because I know that uh, at the end of the day, Bryce can cover anything with the Pistons. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to go through all 15 Eastern Conference teams today. Tomorrow... Bryce will be back. We're going to go through all 15 Western Conference teams. Same deal. We're going to dive into all of these questions heading into the season. And the idea behind these, it's going to be dependent on team. Like some of them are not as, none of them are as simple as can they win the title, but you know, how do they go about winning the title? Or if you're the Wizards, we're going to talk about just like what constitutes success. Like what do they need to learn in some way, shape or form? All of these questions are going to be a little bit more specific than this broadly scoped thing that I'm laying out, but we're really excited to dive into all of these. I'm also probably going to try and scoop somebody to do an awards preview on Tuesday from a gambling perspective in all likelihood, because you know, I'm me at the end of the day and I can't change who I am. Uh, and then later in the week, Danny doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to try and steal Danny LaRue at some point uh, throughout the course of this week to come on and talk about extensions uh, and all of the rookie extensions that were signed and what we learned about that process this year. Because I think that new CBA plus rookie extensions often equals a intriguing snapshot of where the league is going from a team building perspective so all of that this week that's four shows this week and it's going to be really great i'm really pumped to dive in with you guys bryce is here he's been sitting there patiently for three minutes what's going on buddy uh, not much. Now you let me talk right at the beginning. I got to talk about a three and a half hour movie that I'll never watch. It was a great start to the episode. People in the comments already questioning our ability to get through 15 teams in an hour. I don't know why anybody would question you and I's ability to talk quickly and thoroughly through this in a reasonable amount of time, including my wife. She would never question how long these episodes yeah. are actually going to go, Sam. I know. I Look, Bryce and I have laid out ground rules together coming into this episode in terms of what will constitute a success for us uh, in terms of time. Uh, whether or not we reach that success remains to be seen. 
but we're going to try very, very hard here to get through them in as timely as possible, as a timely manner as we can. Uh, we're going to go in alphabetical order. So we're going to start with the Atlanta Hawks. Do you want to just get going or do you have any news and notes at the top on your end, Bryce? Nah, nothing new for me. So let's get right to it. Okay. The Atlanta Hawks. The big question that both Bryce and I are really intrigued by is basically what is their big core, their big long-term solution here? They have not yet, as of the time that we're live recording this, signed Onyeka Okongwu to a contract extension. That could happen at some point in the next two days very easily. Is this the year where Onyeka Okongwu finally overtakes Clint Capella? Is this the year where they move Clint Capella? Uh, is Onyeka still their answer after being the sixth overall pick? Is he still the guy that they see as the long-term center in Atlanta? There has been a changeover in terms of general manager that drafted Onyeka. There has been a changeover in terms of coaching staff. I think that there are a lot of reasons to have some questions on what exactly Atlanta wants to do in the front court long term. Yeah, Sam, why do you think that it has not become Onyeka Kongwu's front court? Because I feel like every year, this is what we do. It's This is the year for Kongwu. This is the year for Kongwu. And what I actually didn't realize, Capella's still in the book for two more years. And so if they're go- are they going to move him or are they going to finally just put him on the bench and let Kongwu start? Every year, I feel like, yes, this is the year it's a Kongwu, and every year I continue to be wrong. So I'm having a hard time saying this is finally the year where it's going to happen. So up until last year, I understood why this was the case in terms of Onyeka being, you know, the backup and continuing to grow and develop. His rookie year, he came in injured after, if I remember correctly, there was a foot issue uh, pre-draft, and then... You know, last year, the sophomore year, he also ended up only playing 48 games and did not play a full schedule. 2022-23, he played 80 games. He started 18 of them. I thought he was really, really impactful. You know, he's always so efficient around the basket. He averaged 10 points, seven rebounds per game, uh, you know, had a 68 true shooting percentage. And you could see some of the switchable defensive aspects that made him as interesting as he was coming into the draft uh, throughout the course of that season. I think the big reason he hasn't overtaken him largely has to do with the fact that he is just a little bit smaller Smaller. and Clint is still a very good, like league average starting center at the end of the day. Like it is hard to say that on the whole, Onyeka is a better player than Clint Capella when accounting for the rim protection and defensive know-how that Clint brings to the table. But Clint still has 42 million over the course of these next two years Onyeka in some way, shape or form is going to get expensive next season. It does feel like to me at the very least next off season feels like when they have to make the move because at 22 million for 2024, 25 for Clint, I think they're going to have to pay Onyeka somewhere in like the 15 million ballpark. I don't think you want, you know, let's call it 37 to $42 million tied up in the center position when your center production is probably going to be right around league average for those two, right? For next season. So that's when it gets interesting for me. It's like, can Onyeka overtake him for this season, I think? 
And that's the thing is you could see him just playing it out again, right? We sit here and say like, maybe it's finally time that they have to make a decision. But if they have Capella on the books for this year and for next, then maybe they play it out with Capella starting Nkungu off the bench. I just wonder, is it not until the, is that the absolute decision time? Is it like, can you go into next year again with both of these guys on the roster, Sam Capella's 29. So it's not like he's 35 or something like that. Do you take them both into next season? Because I can very easily see a world where you take them both through this season, Capella starting a Congo off the bench. Do you Can you do that again next year? Does that make sense to do it for yet another season? I think the, I mean, look, you could in theory. Sure. It's just that Atlanta's ownership at this point has not really seen much interest in paying luxury tax. And given that Trey Young has his deal, DeJounte Murray's deal kicks in. And you have DeAndre Hunter, who is now expensive. Sadiq Bay is. You have to do something with Bay, right? Yeah. So Bogdan Bogdanovich is still expensive and on this roster. It does feel like this is the season where push comes to shove on that. And there's going to have to be some sort of move made there, I think. Maybe it's a deadline. Maybe it's in the offseason. I don't know. But to me, the Hawks' most important guy that they can find out like exactly what he is this season is a Kong Wu. Uh, they, like Jalen Johnson's look great in the preseason. I think that, you know, AJ Griffin is still a, a really, really high level prospect that I uh, am a fan of uh, because of his shooting ability. I feel like Onyeka is the guy though, that, you know, right now is the most important because they have to make the payment decision on him. And he plays the center position as a bit of an undersized guy. And you need to understand, can he anchor your defense long-term? So I guess that's my thing is don't you, or can you find out that answer this year with a Kong Wu coming off the bench? And maybe you can, maybe you can figure out he either is, or maybe they're telling us, Sam, maybe they're telling us that they don't think he's the guy and they're going to end up going somewhere else. But I think that by the end of the season, they need to know that's where I'm at. They need to know. Yeah. And if that means you have to move Capella to find out, then do it. If you think you can do it with Capella on the roster, then fine. But by the end of this season, they have to know, can we move forward with the Kongu as our starting center or can we not? Okay. That was a good start, Bryce. We went five minutes and we got through one team. I love it. We're going to the Boston Celtics next. The Celtics, they really have six guys right now. You have Derek White and Drew Holiday. You have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And then you have Al Horford and Kristaps Porzingis. What does their overall bench unit look like? Do they decide to bring Drew Holiday off the bench, which has been speculated upon at this point? Do they decide to bring Al Horford off the bench? What exactly is their bench unit? And do they need anything else moving forward here in order to accentuate that unit in order to win a title this year. So this Drew Holiday thing was kind of crazy to me, right? This happened a couple preseason, uh, preseason games ago. He came off the bench and I thought it was just kind of a random thing. And then I'm not a betting guy, as we've talked about, Sam, but I'm listening to podcasts. I'm, you know, FanDuel or whatever it is. I, I Hopefully I don't say somebody I'm not supposed to based on sponsorships. But all of a sudden Drew Holiday is like a betting, like you can bet on Drew Holiday for six man of the year. And I'm like, what is going on here? This has to be a matchup dependent thing, right? That's the only thing that makes sense to me. I can see that, but 
I don't know. I just didn't think there was a world where Drew Holiday comes off the bench for this team. And so that's surprising to me, but maybe that makes your bench really good with Pritchard, who's obviously going to play. Then you have all those different wing forwards and Hauser and Zvi and Brissett and Stevens, Cornette at the center. Like maybe you add a, another big man. Like I'm a little nervous there. Would you agree with that? Maybe a little nervous about just the yeah. big man rotation in general and the depth there. Uh, I would definitely want to add one more big if I was them. Luke Cornett can eat minutes in the yeah, regular yeah. season, but Absolutely. like I, I would, I would want one more. I mean, the funny thing is that I think the guy that would make the most sense is probably like Mike Muscala and Mike can't be traded back to them, obviously like via trade rules right now, because he was involved in that three team deal to get them Kristaps uh, just because the wizards have to cut a couple of guys uh, and they have a big glut in the front court right now. Between Xavier Cooks, Anthony Gill, uh, you know, Muscala, Daniel Gafford, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to have to get rid of one of those guys before the cutdown time. And it'll be interesting to see where they go. But in terms of their depth, A, they have tended to do a good job of staggering their lineups, I think, throughout the course of this little run of time here. Like a lot of times, Jason Tatum with the bench unit. Sometimes they run out Jalen with the bench unit, depending on the year. I would imagine that they will continue to play Jalen with the bench unit to up that level of consistency. I trust in Sam Hauser enough. So that can be a seventh guy. I think Pritchard is going to be a good backup point guard. I don't know if you can play him in the playoffs necessarily, but we'll find out. But I think he can play 1200 minutes, 1400 minutes, 1500 minutes as a solid backup point guard. Beyond that, that's where I'm like a little bit skeptical right now. I think that Jordan Walsh being good immediately would help. Uh, That's really the guy that they need. They need that like flexible 6'8 wing with like a 7'2 wingspan who can play kind of across the positional spectrum. That would just be like absolutely enormous for them to have, I think. You know, it's. I, I think they do need to go out and get one more guy at some point. I don't know who that'll be. Uh, but they do need to go out and get one more, I think, especially and really it might be two. They might need to go out and get like a depth big, like a Muscala like guy, even though it can't necessarily be Mike more than that though. I think they need to go out and get like another wing, uh, that can, you know, play across the positional spectrum. The guy that I speculated upon in the preseason was like, could they go get Jay Sean Tate from Houston? But a, I think Jay Sean has looked a little bit too good with Houston in the preseason and B, uh, you know, my idea there was like a weird three team construction with like Brogdon and, you know, the Kevin Porter deal and, you know, KPJ ended up being moved to Oklahoma city and they decided to cash in just for a different deal. But it, it's, it's interesting to try and figure out what they can do at the wing position right now. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up Tate because as I was going through the Rockets 10 man rotation, I had a hard time kind of figuring out where to fit him in depending on what they prioritize i know like svi mikhailuk is here as well i'll just like i've watched svi his whole career svi can really get your hopes up and then lots of times he ends up letting you down and i have nothing against svi like i think he can really shoot he's a really good player he's sneaky athletic i'm just not sure he's a guy you're really going to trust at a championship level team and that's true about jordan walsh i pitched jordan walsh three weeks ago but at the end of the day he's still a rookie sam and then one quick note with the injury to Steven Adams in Memphis, 
that might be another team that's in the center market, potentially, since he's out for the year. I know they have some other guys, but now the competition for a center like this may have gotten a little tougher, whether it's the waiver wire free agency or via a trade. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. Okay, next up, the Brooklyn Nets. And the Brooklyn Nets question doesn't really require any preamble. It's just very simple. Uh, I've watched like a decent amount of the Brooklyn Nets in preseason. And every time I've watched them, it feels like Ben Simmons is getting more and more confident in getting that fearlessness back that he played with when he was early in his career with the 76ers and he was just a downhill freight train every time he touched the ball. So very simply, like is, is Ben Simmons just kind of back Bryce? Like do, do we believe in this right now? Cause physically when I watch him, I think that he's back physically in terms of being able to put that downhill pressure on the rim. And that's something this team needs. I remember sitting in Detroit, watching them play the Nets at the end of last season, sitting with an executive of a different NBA team that kind of scouted the region. And he looked at me, he goes, Bryce, what's this team's biggest need? And I said, they don't have anybody that really creates on the ball. They don't have a table setter. And obviously, Mikel Bridges is hopefully going to take on some of that. But I don't think they really have a guard, a true guard that does that. And I know Ben Simmons isn't like your prototypical guy. But as you point out, he can get downhill. I've always been a Ben Simmons believer in the idea of who Ben Simmons is as a player. And I realize people are tired of it. People just want him to play. You know, eventually though, like you have to, yes, he's making $38 million and he's not a $38 million player. I get it. But this narrative that like he's not even an NBA player is just crazy. Like, let's get rid of that stuff. Ben Simmons is a quality NBA player. And based off, again, we'll always give this the preseason it looks like he's on a path back to being a really solid NBA player who can pressure the rim and at least transition off ball cuts, offensive rebounds. And then is at least like, even if he's not all NBA defense, Sam, he's a heck of a versatile defender. There's not a whole lot of guys at his size. You can give different matchups to, and there's value just in that. If Mikel Bridges is going to be this offensive hub, he can't guard the other team's best player every night also. That's a lot to ask of him. So even if Ben can just do that, that's a lot of value as well. The scoring does not seem to be back. Like the thing with sure. Ben early on is like in his first three seasons when he was like really fucking good, he was averaging like 16 a night, right? So far in the preseason, in his four games, he's had 10 points, six points, eight points, and two points. But... In those last three games, he's also had nine assists, nine assists, seven assists. And the thing that Ben does do for Brooklyn is he does create that downhill pressure. He creates transition opportunities for a team that does not have a crazy amount of half-court shot creation. Now, I like the idea of pairing him with like Spencer Dinwiddie. I like the idea of having him next to Mikhail Bridges. If you think Mikhail can run some half court ball screens. Uh, the, the question is, can they get enough offensive spacing in half court settings? If both Ben and Nick Claxton are on the court, even if you put out like Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, right. Or, you know, Royce O'Neal, whoever you want to put in right? You still don't have a lot of space on the court. 
to try and get to the basket, which means teams will probably go under most of your actions. And it's going to be hard, I think, to get that little bit of separation. Even if it's hard, because Nick is one of like the 10 best defensive players in the NBA, if not one of the five best defensive players in the NBA. So you need to have Nick out there. Nick is a more important player, I think, for the Brooklyn Nets than Ben is. But I've been really, really encouraged by what I've seen from Ben. And if you can get 18 minutes on the court from Ben Simmons without Nick on the court, because Nick will play 30 minutes a night or whatever, and you can kind of stagger them a little bit more effectively. And you can play downhill in transition with Ben. Ben can be an aggressive on-ball defender. I loved what I've seen there. I love the way he has just gone downhill and attacked the basket this preseason. I think Ben Simmons is in for a much better year than certainly what I anticipated coming into the preseason and what I think most people expect from him at this point in his career. I mean, three months ago, if we were talking about the Brooklyn Nets, I probably would have had to go to spot track to like just remember that he's on the roster. You know, it's like you almost just even forget. You don't even count yeah. him as part of anything. Here's what I'd say. Like Jacques Vaughn, again, somebody I grew up watching as a KU fan, like he was a legend. He was the point <laughs> guard at Kansas as I was growing up. Just pressure the heck. Like you can put out such good defensive lineups, pressure the heck out of teams, and then run the floor as fast as you can and get and go and transition. I think that's your best thing you can do with certain lineups. And then maybe you can put different lineups out there where you can run some more half-court offensive stuff. But some of those lineups guard the crap out of teams and then just go. Just go. Let Ben Simmons be that game changer that changes the flow and the pace of a game and let him push and transition. And then you you can guard teams on the other end as well. Yep. Look, I think finding out an answer to this question and if Ben can like actually play is really, really valuable for Brooklyn this year. Like I think we have a good understanding of what Mikhail is. I think we have good understanding of like what the pieces are on this roster. Agreed. The the Nets biggest question next off season now is like, will Nick, Nick Claxton resign or not? Obviously. But I think that if Ben is something, this is like a bit of a different look now. Uh, if only because like you might be able to move Ben a little bit more easily with his, you know, big contract, which could allow you to be in the market for stars in a different way as well. Ben Simmons being like a good basketball player changes a lot for the Brooklyn Nets. And that would be really, really important. I think Ben Simmons on an expiring contract in 24, 25. So that's, you know, these contracts become much more tradable when the player is healthy, looks halfway decent. And even if he's not a $40 million player, now he's a $40 million player on an expiring contract that can still help your team. And one quick shout out. I thought Dayron Sharp looked really good in the preseason. Nothing like that blows you away. I thought he's played hard as heck, rebounded, defended, did some really good things. So just wanted to give him a shout out before we move on to the next team. I didn't even see Dayron in the preseason. Did he, I thought he got hurt. Didn't he like hurt his ankle? What What happened? Like, did he play the last game? Um, I know he played at least three games. Did he? I saw I saw the game where like he played two minutes because he like missed the game where he like hurt his ankle. And then I saw um I, I basically just like watched all of Ben's minutes, basically, was my plan, uh, with the Nets tape. And I was like, oh, okay, this is good. But I didn't see a ton of day Ron. I'm glad he played. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Let's go to the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets. This is just a simple question. To me, it's like, what is Brandon Miller's role? Like, what does this look like? There are other bigger, you know, overall questions for the Charlotte Hornets. Like, you know, is Miles Bridges still going to be on this team given his recent 
uh, arrest summons uh, is uh, Lamelo. What is Lamelo Ball long term? Certainly is a big question. But for this specific season, the thing I want to watch most is just what is Brandon Miller's role. So, like, what is your answer to that, Bryce? I have no idea. Um, sticking strictly to the basketball floor, Miles Bridges not being around, I think opens up a lot of minutes for him. As I look through this roster, I kind of wonder, I think he's going to start now with PJ Washington and then Rogier and Ball and then Mark Williams at center, but you still have Gordon Hayward. And so like where what I find myself doing is, is he better in the starting lineup with Ball and Rogier and Washington or is he better in the second unit where maybe he can kind of be the guy? Like, what what is he ready for? We, we had this conversation around Bilal Koulibaly where I was like, man, I don't love him in the starting lineup because Poole and Kuzma are going to take every single shot. And you brought up a good point of maybe Koulibaly needs to play with two guys that are going to take every single shot. So yeah. is, is he better playing with those guys? But, you know, Ball is going to create shots for him. Who off the bench is going to create shots for him? I don't know because I do think Miller needs some of that. Guys getting him looks, actions getting him looks. I think it would be better for him to play with the starters is where I'm at on this because of exactly what you said where I think they should be trying to incorporate him, getting him as many easy shots as they possibly can. My impression, based on that last preseason game, I, I think that they're probably going to go with Ball, Rozier, Hayward, Washington, Hayward. Yep. Williams Yep, in the starting lineup and bring Brandon Miller off the bench with like JT Thor and Frank Nilakina, And, you know, we'll see what else happens. Nick like Richards. Maybe it's Bryce McGowan's. Maybe obviously Nick Richards will play as the backup center. Yep. Like my guess is that Brandon plays that role. I personally think that they should start him and bring Gordon off the bench because Gordon can actually run some actions and run some sets. Yes. And if you're going to play Frank as your point guard, as your backup point guard, because I think that Steve Clifford really likes the idea of having a really good defensive point guard is their backup point guard. Like look at Dennis Smith jr. Last year, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, If you're going to play Frank in that way, I think that you need to have that shot creation off the bench. And I'm not sure Brandon is ready to take that on yet. Uh, He ended up taking 12 shots in their last preseason game against the Celtics. And I I just thought that it looked like he was kind of pressing and like trying to like, push things and it didn't look as clean and crisp as functional as what you would like to see. So I would like to ease him in. And I actually wonder if the way to ease him in is with the starters, or maybe you do something like you stagger minutes with LaMelo, you bring LaMelo in next to him all the time. And like you you try and make things work that way. But I actually wonder if the way to ease him in is with the starters, you know, at the end of the day. My thing was, I kind of wanted him playing with Hayward just because I felt like Hayward may be the best guy in terms of like he would really focus on getting Brandon the ball in the right places. Like I know he's not a primary guy, but you can run actions through Gordon. And at this point in his career, you know, I, I feel like he would be good at that. So I, I was trying to find a way to get him and Gordon Hayward on the floor together. And, and you know what I'm forgetting too? Nilakina did fracture his Oh, leg. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. 
I forgot about that. He fractured his leg that game. Um, so now you're so gonna it's going like to be someone. Smith it's going to be or book night like Nick Smith. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be something. Your backup point guard. But again, to me, that's even more reason to go Start with him. Like Gordon Hayward off the bench because again, I think Gordon can like run some stuff is your yep. like backup point guard. Maybe that will change things for them. Maybe they'll decide, you know, look, maybe it's Terry off the bench, right? Like, but if I was them, I would start Brandon Miller personally. Um, yeah, I completely forgot. Frank uh, broke his leg in that game. That sucked. Yep. Yeah. Huh? Um, but yeah, no, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what they do. I didn't realize how many Eastern Conference teams start off the alphabetical list here as we haven't had to skip over a team just going with Eastern Conference teams. So, so many. Uh, but yeah, look, Brandon's role this year is big. Brand, they, they need to find out. They need to find out more about LaMelo right now to see what he is. But figuring out ways to get Brandon in their offense and fitting with LaMelo Ball, I think, is like their most important goal this year. At the end of the day. Okay. Next up, the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls. Is Kobe White like a real starting point guard? Like that's that's kind of the big question. They went out and signed uh, Javon Carter. They still obviously have Alex Caruso. But it feels like to me that like Kobe is kind of their guy right now. Right? So is is Kobe White their starting point guard? And is he a real starting point guard uh, in the NBA? Uh, I mean, I think that's who they're going to go with based off what I've seen. And again, I haven't watched every single game, but it just it just seems like that's where they're going to go. Um, I, I, we'll see. I, I tend to like Javon Carter. I think he's a really good player. I thought that was one of the better, like, lower level, B level, whatever you want to call it, signings of the offseason. I, I thought that was really smart by the Bulls. I thought that was a really good contract that they got him on. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting. I, I guess that's where they're going to go. I also have some questions about some front court depth just in terms of, I mean, yeah, you have Vooch and Drummond and Pat Will, and I'm kind of buying into Patrick Williams. But if there's an injury there, I'm not necessarily sure where they go after that. And so it's just... I hate being sour on a team, but I'm just not sure I have a whole lot of faith in the Bulls and where they're going with things right now. I I hope they prove me wrong. I hope they surprise me and Kobe has a big year and Levine and DeRozan play well and Vooch plays well and Pat Will breaks out. I just don't have great vibes around the roster. So I'm actually like, Look, I, I've talked a lot about the Bulls and like having significant questions about like what they're building and what their goal is. Like, I, I just don't think they have like enough like real elite level talent based on today's NBA to really compete at the top of the Eastern Conference. As much as I love and respect Amar and love Zach Levine and everything like that. But what I will say is I've really liked the way that Kobe has been able to like get into the paint and pressure the basket. I always felt like early on in his career, he struggled to do that with any sort of like efficiency or plan. He's always had like decent speed for somebody who is like a bigger guard at six foot four, six foot five. But I felt like he didn't always like kind of use that speed to his advantage by having like a plan on his drives. I think now he has that plan and now you see him. It's like controlled aggression almost is maybe the way to put it. 
And, and I really like the controlled aggression we've seen from Kobe White. Uh, really starting at the end of last season, I think is reasonable. But th- this preseason, like he had five turnovers in that game against Toronto, but like it, it feels a little bit better to me right now for them. Well, just looking at the numbers, I find this stood out to me, Sam. He only shot 32% from three, but even with that, he was 54% overall. So that tells you what he was doing inside the three-point line. Again, the caveat of it was preseason. So that kind of speaks to what you were talking about in terms of him being able to use his speed to get downhill, pressure the lane, and then find the ways, have a plan to actually capitalize on that whenever you get there. Yeah, the... The thing with this Bulls team that I think I don't really love is that they just don't seem to have a lot of ball movement, right? Like Kobe White is more of a scoring guard. Zach Levine is a scoring guard. DeMar is certainly a scoring guard. Levine and DeRozan have certainly improved as passers and playmakers throughout the course of their career, but they aren't that. You know what I mean? Yep. So trying to find that balance to me is the really big thing. And I just don't know if they have it. Like Pat White has never really been a passer. Vooch is a scorer for like a forward. I just don't know if they have that playmaking. Again, the guy that tied this all together was Lonzo, which it sucks that Lonzo is uh, is hurt and out. So I was going to say, as you were saying that, Sam, I just, I'm looking at Lonzo's name here on the roster and I'm going, this is the perfect piece. And this is one of the bigger like what ifs when it's not like a superstar player, what if Lonzo was a really good player? Don't get me wrong, but like not a, you know, all NBA level guy, but that's a big, what if, what if Lonzo stays healthy? Cause I feel like he had really figured out his game and he was truly that connective tissue that we all like to use. And as an example, he just, he had really figured out it, it sucks so bad for him individually, Sam, but it does kind of suck for this Bulls team as well because that that's the perfect piece to connect all of this stuff together. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's very, very disappointing. Uh, B-Picks TV asked, quick Dale and Terry thoughts. Uh, it still doesn't really look ready to be a rotation player in the NBA yet. Uh, I always kind of thought he was going to be a project, so I'm not super surprised by that. But yeah, I mean, doesn't quite look, look ready yet. Uh, and Cole Krug brings up real quick on Kobe White. Uh, defense looks a lot improved. Completely agree with that. Like Kobe was one of like the worst defenders in the NBA. I thought throughout the early portion of his career, he he is not that anymore. Like he's pretty okay on that end now. Yep. Okay. Next up the Cleveland Cavaliers. The big question for me is they made all these off season moves to go get wings, right? To go get Max Struess, obviously go get George Niang, have they done enough with these additions to create like lineup flexibility to be effective in the playoffs? Like I know that we're talking about the season here and we're a long way from the playoffs. We're still six months away from that, but have you seen anything that makes you believe that what they have done this off season tangibly changes their fortunes? I think they're going to be a great regular season team. I'm still trying to figure out the playoff side of it for the Cavs with all due respect to my guy Bob Schmidt and his Cavs podcast and he's a good friend now I think my answer is no Sam like I could see this team being the three seed in the east very easily see them being the three seed behind Boston and Milwaukee but I put it in my notes and obviously not all these teams 
and players may be playoff teams, but who's guarding the Jason Tatums, the Kawhis, the PG-13, Jimmy Butler, Brandon Egram, Franz, Kevin Durant. I know some of those guys are in the West. And all. Who, who, are, who is taking those matchups on this team where you really feel like they can do it effectively? I think the guy, am I crazy thinking that like, I don't know that if he can do it, but is it Evan Mobley? Is Evan Mobley going to transition more to guarding those guys or are they trying to transition him more to being like the big who anchors the defense? I don't know what the answer is there. I'm not sure he can take on some of those matchups. Maybe some of them he can, but it's not Struess. It's not Niang. I love the spacing those guys give, but ultimately I'm not sure they solve their biggest defensive issue. So I would bet you that it's probably one of Okoro or Struess to start right now. The thing that could like change things for them pretty substantially is if Isaac Okoro, like some of the flashes he's shown like as a shooter end oh, yeah, up being yeah. real. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally don't think they're there right now, but like that, that would really alter some things for them to me with Mobley. I think he's probably going to go more toward the center position. I think so long term. So I still think they do need the wing. And frankly, like I think that they need to develop lineups where Evan can play the center and be an effective center. And to do that, you need to have Darius and Donovan out there. And then you need two other guys. And the question is, who are the two other guys? I think Struess can probably be one of those guys. Is it Karis? Is it, you know, is it a Coro? Like, is it George Niang? I don't know if we have the answer there. Like, I truly don't know if we have the answer on if the Cavs have built this team enough for playoff success. I like the idea of what they did this off season. Like, I like the idea of them doing this, but I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't have the name, Sam. So here's my question. By the deadline, do you consider moving Jarrett Allen for the type of wing forward we're talking about? Is it, are we that close to just making that move $20 million contract. So you're probably going to be able to make money and salaries work pretty well. You move Mobley to the five and you trade Jarrett Allen for a insert name of high level, true three and D wing slash forward. I think that's where this is going, but I wonder if they wait until the off season to do it, to get a better handle on Donovan Mitchell's willingness to potentially sign an extension his happiness in Cleveland, everything like that. Um, because that, that to me is now their biggest question moving forward as well as, you know, what is JB Bickerstaff as a coach here? Like, is he the guy that can take them to the next level? He certainly took them to the next level last season, but I, I thought he got pretty overwhelmed in the playoffs by Tibbs personally, unfortunately. So, you know, is he the guy is like a real question. If they start slowly for some reason, like, do they move? I, I don't think they will, but maybe, you know, it, th- this becomes a rushed timeline. Like they have all of these interesting young players, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen is not that old. Darius is certainly not that old. Donovan is like what, He's only 27, 27, 27 years yeah. old. Yeah. But the timeline picks up quickly when you have contractual situations like Donovan Mitchell's that come into play. And this is an enormous year for the Cavs. This is an enormous, enormous year for the Cavs. 
I liked the idea of what they did because the biggest thing for me was not the defense. It was actually the shooting and not being able to do anything on offense and not having like a good fifth option who could just space the floor from the corners. I think Struess can do that. And I think he's like a little bit of an underrated on ball defender. It's just, you know, do they have enough is the real question now. And another thing is, and thoughts and prayers to Ricky Rubio and everything he's dealing with, you know, you have, you're missing that piece as well off the bench. My thing is, Sam, there's so many names on this roster that I like, I think you like, and it's just crazy to me that we still have so many questions about the roster with the amount of names that we really like. And that's another kind of just note I put was, can JB figure out how to stagger these two guards and these two bigs and then put the wings in the right positions with them? And so they're with that amount of talent comes a lot of responsibility of making it match correctly and mesh correctly. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get to the next group of teams. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for Nord VPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, Bryce, we're back. 
And I, I'm throwing you a curveball on the Pistons thing because can't wait. You know, th- th- this is just their most important question by far to me. And you know, we were saying like, do you prioritize offense or defense, winning or development, like the backup center role, everything like that. The only thing that matters for Detroit this year is if Cade Cunningham is the guy. One thousand percent. So we'll start there. Do you think that the Detroit Pistons are putting Cade Cunningham in a position to where they can actually answer the question of if he is the guy? I think they have acquired the right types of players to figure that out offensively. The question, Sam, becomes, do you play those guys with Cade based on the timeline, draft picks, veteran versus young guys? Because the guys you are excited to see him play with are who? Jay Nivey, Jalen Duran, Asar Thompson. For the Isaiah Stewart fans out there, Isaiah Stewart. Even Killian Hayes is getting a lot of love right now, Sam. Don't be surprised if he doesn't start or if he does start on opening night. Don't be shocked on Wednesday. I, I, true, truly, I will lose my fucking mind. <laughs> like, Monty, Monty's out. Boyan's out. I think he. I think there's a real chance. I would not be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I won't be shocked if Killian Hayes starts Wednesday. I, I get it. Uh, trust me. I understand it. But you have shooters. That's that's what I'm getting to. Like they're all vets, so you got. I, my point is, Killian Hayes is a vet at this point. Like <laughs> we need to treat Killian like he is a vet, not like some young developmental dude. So, because that those lineups don't have spacing. I love Asar. I would debate. I would spend 45 minutes talking about how good Asar Thompson has been so far in his role. But he doesn't space the floor. Stewart was awful in the preseason from the three-point line. I believe it's going to eventually get there, but it hasn't been there. Killian, as good as he's played, 20-some percent from three in his career. So to your question, if Monty continues to put these specific lineups out there, then no. Here's what I also want to say, though, Sam. I like putting responsibility on the player himself as well, though. And I can send screenshots, and I've done it, where – Other players have attacked a gap and got to the rim and it's a tight window, but have attacked through it and Cade at times chooses not to. So all I'm going to say is Cade has to take some ownership of not pressuring the rim as much as what I feel like he could, even with poor spacing, which I will admit is true. And he also hasn't shot the ball well from the three-point line overall, and then just in general here in the preseason. So I do think Cade has to take some ownership of this as well. So I agree with that, but Cade's skill set has never been pressuring the rim. Agreed. To get the most out of him, you need to have that space so that he, like on some level, can do that and can make the high-level processing reads and decision-making and things like that. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm struggling. Like, look, I get that they're in like a shitty spot right now because Boyan is out. Like, but Boyan is the guy that like really yes. shifts things for them as a shooter. Yes. yes, and they really need him back. Uh, and he has the calf injury, and it doesn't seem serious. Like, it seems like at some point, 
he'll be back. I'm a like, little more worried soon. about Monty, and maybe you can give me a little perspective. Like I, I didn't always just like follow Monty's career with injuries and stuff, but it's a back injury. And then I was reading some stuff with the Wizards, and the first thing I found was like in a shot that he got in his back, so he was going to be out for a week before he could play. Back injuries just scare the crap out of me, man. And yeah. so I'm a little worried about Monte Morris because I was really excited about what he could bring this team. He, he, so Sam, would you, you would just go straight shooting. We've talked about this. Like yes. it's Burks, Boyan. Um, like you want to put Joe here's, Harris here's, here's in the starting the lineup? They they can't get to a level that is good enough defensively this year to matter. Uh, That's fair. All, all due respect to Asar, like Asar, I think is going to be a great rookie defensively. He might be already be the best defender on the team. And that's not necessarily a positive thing. If your rookie wing coming from OTE is the best defender on your team. Which is concern. That's very concerning. Like they yes. can't get to a level where they are awesome on defense. So if I was them, I would be looking at it like, okay, let's go offense. Let's start Joe Harris. Let's start Alec Burks. Let's start one of those guys. I'm not saying start both of those guys. If we're going to start a SAR, let's start Boyan next to a SAR. And then you have, you know, Jalen Duran at center. And then you go Cade, you know, a SAR. Burks. One of Burks or Joe Harris. Maybe you want to bring Burks off the bench for his offense and like shot creation. Uh, but you have Jay Nivey coming off the bench then. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, is that good or not? Um, and then Boyan and Duran, and like that's a well spaced unit. You can run some creative, interesting offensive sets that way. Like that gives Cade a chance to operate in the mid range where he really likes to play. I- I'm I- I'm struggling with the lineups that I've seen so far. I I really like Isaiah Stewart as a player. Like I I think he can really play. I get why Pistons get up. Pistons fans get upset with him, but I think that's more a situation of him not being used properly than anything. I, I would like to see him play as like the sixth man big, like wow. four or five. Like yes. play, he can play both, I think, but you probably want to shift it more toward the five, especially when like neither James Wiseman or Marvin Bagley are going to give you that much, in my opinion. So do that, go smaller, go with shooting and spacing. If you want to start a SAR, I'm for it. Like that's cool. Like Asar has been really good this preseason, like for a rookie that is coming in from OTE and like is a little bit younger and like I guess he's a little bit older for like a freshman aged player. But like he he is, he's not 22 or 23 though. He's 20. Yeah, no, he's still 20 years old. Like he has been really interesting and good, and I would want to see more. Uh, And then you bring Jaden off the bench, and he can run the second unit and do things like that, and you can stagger him with Cade from time to time. I'm for it. I just actually need to see the Pistons operate with spacing at some point this year because the most important thing that we need to learn is if Cade Cunningham is the guy. And the way that you're going to learn that is by giving him a chance with spacing. Yeah. No, you you sold me on this. Like I'm normally a defensive guy, defensive minded, that which was not what I was as a player, funny enough. Um, I didn't play a lick of defense, but I, I you've <laughs> Sorry, bad timing with that one. Um, but you've kind of Sam, are you alive? I can't hear you yeah. breathing. Okay, sorry, I needed to uh, swallow the tea that I was drinking. <laughs> but you've kind of sold me on they're not going to be that good defensively anyway. Let's go offense, 
And I think it works good enough because one thing Asar has been really good at is rebounding. So even with Boyan, like at the four, yeah, maybe you get beat up a little bit, but I think you rebound well enough. You, you've kind of sold me on this. I'm game. I'm, and for the record, I've said Stu's a third big going back a couple of years now. I think he should be coming off the bench as the four or five, depending on the matchup. So the mm-hmm. Ivy one kind of took me off guard. I still don't love it, but if that's kind of the sacrifice to give Kate a little more spacing, give Jaden a little more freedom, I'm okay with it. So I, I think you've been spot on and I've come around to this wholeheartedly. Okay. Next up, the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers' big question to me is like everyone's expecting them to take this leap this season, right? Uh, to be a legit play-in team that could maybe get like the sixth seed, right? M- my biggest question for you is, is the defense going to be good enough? Like can Bruce Brown and Miles Turner hold the defense up on their shoulders enough to where they are not just like the fun, exciting team that we love to watch play on league pass versus like a team that like consistently wins games and like wins the games they should all the time. Yeah, that's what's going to be. Inter- I, I think so. My my answer is I think so. I think a part of this also is how much better does Tyrese Halliburton get defensively? How much mm-hmm. better does Benedict Matherin get defensively? And this is from someone, you know, two weeks ago, I'm calling, you know, Tyrese Halliburton breakout all NBA level guy. Part of that is probably going to be making a stride defensively along with what he does offensively. I loved Benedict Matherin. He was my guy just because I think he's this smooth athlete. But defensively, he hasn't been as good as what I think he can be. I think he has the mentality, but he's got to do all the other stuff. Those guys being even neutral defenders, Sam, would be huge whenever then you have really kind of great defender in Bruce Brown who takes the primary matchup and a rim protector like Miles Turner. So I think they can, but I don't think it's just those guys being great. It's also some of these other guys lifting themselves defensively as well. I think that's the right take. I love the idea of them getting Brown to be able to come in and lift the defense and on on some level, like lift the offense just in terms of like, being a short role, like wing big kind of player and being able to make decisions off of that. I think that was really sharp. Uh, have we learned yet what their starting lineup is going to be? I feel like we haven't really, right? I, no, I I don't know unless I've missed something through the pre. Maybe, maybe they've given us a hint that I've just mixed kind of the games I've watched and then box scores. But I mean, is it going to be Ben Math at the two? Yeah, I can't tell yet. I was trying to figure that out because like, and it's going to be topping at the four. Is that? Yeah. I like, are they really like, going to start Obi? Cause like Obi, I did not love his like minutes in the preseason, to be honest with you. Yeah. So that's what it, it's a real interesting, t- another team where you go through the roster and you really like the names. And then you start to have questions just in terms of who fits with who, who's the starter, who plays the best here, who, how do you, you know, space the floor defensively, all that. And and in this regard, it's a team we're all talking about making a real jump as a team. You know, it's not the Pistons in terms of just wins don't necessarily matter as much as finding out who Kate is. This is a team we're talking about, like really winning games and competing. Yeah. And like, are you really going to like, just, give that spot to Matherin over Nemhard, Like when you started Nemhard like the whole year last year, that, that it's just like a little bit confusing to me on like what their overall plan is in terms of 
like just their starters and who they're going to rock with. They have a lot of guys like they, yep. they truly just have a lot of guys on this roster and, you know, buddy healed. Like, is he there long term? Is he there until the deadline? What does that look like? I'm not totally sure, but the defense is the big question to me in, in trying to figure out the best lineups for them to get defensive play on the court. I think that's a reason why Andrew Nemhard started a decent amount of games last year was because he was willing to take on those tough assignments and generally did okay. Like he was a rookie. He was a young guy. He's not the most athletic player in the world, but like he did okay. He worked hard. He fought over screens. Like he, he battled on that end. So, you know, like he's probably a piece of the defense. Uh, you know, Aaron Naismith started a lot of games last year and like he didn't really start in the preseason. I, I'm just not sure what they're like. I, I, I just don't know what they look like yet, I guess is my thing. Yeah. And then I'm interested, like Jairus Walker, you know, like, is he ready defensively and is he ready overall to help this team very much? Yep. Okay. Next up, uh, is the Miami Heat next? Is that the right? Miami Heat or next? Miami Heat. Uh, so who is the next Miami Heat young guy to come out of nowhere and be the like dude that people are like, oh, yeah, like this guy, like he's now a critical player at the end of the day. Um, obviously, we can trust Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, I think at this point. I'd imagine that Kyle Lowry will play minutes. You know, who who is Caleb Martin? Who, who's, who's next? Caleb Martin will play, obviously, as well. But who is the next Caleb Martin, I think, is the real question here. Duncan will play, I think. Uh, you know, is it Jovic? Is it Jaime Jaquez, who I think will play? Haywood Highsmith. I think Jamal Cain had a pretty good preseason. Jamal Cain uh, is interesting. Jamal Cain's interesting. I, I, like, I'm still a Drew Smith guy. Like, I know Miami fans, like, melt down about Drew Smith on the internet. But, like, in a bad way, they don't is- like Drew? They don't think Drew's good. No, like I, I look, Drew didn't have like a you know great shooting preseason sure. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Is why, but like I think Drew's like the kind of guy that plays better with better players. Yep. Like if you put him like with like Jimmy and Tyler and just say go defend, go, uh, you know, be aggressive, be like the best fifth guy on the court that you can be. Like I think that's where Drew would thrive. Yep. Uh, not necessarily like you know running the show and doing things like that. He's just a really good decision maker. So who who is kind of the guy here? Do you think? Yeah, I the chat's kind of blowing up. I think it's Highsmith. I, I think that's where my inclination is. But I want. I think Jamal Kane is kind of the one that may surprise people. I've had I had somebody text me about Jamal whatever two years ago it was like hey this kid you know and he's stuck around he's stuck around and now it looks like he may get a chance I feel like he had a decent preseason and I think RJ Hampton had like a big game the other night you know I watched I'm not buying it just seems like one of these guys I think you go through these names and you're like nah I don't know I don't know but this is what the heat do so yeah I mean Kane averaged 11 points in the preseason he was shot 67 percent from three on three attempts um where's Highsmith was 60% from three on 3.8 attempts. So preseason, I don't know, but I just feel very confident one of these guys or two of these guys are really going to fall into those roles of Max Struess and um, Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent, sorry, thank you. Yeah, I I think that Jaquez is one of them. I I feel good about Jaime Jaquez. I think Haywood Highsmith can really defend which is valuable and useful. Kane, it feels like can score. He plays hard. He's aggressive on the glass. Like I I trust Jamal Kane, like 
maybe can play some minutes here and there. Again, like I, I like Drew Smith. Like I think Drew can like be more useful with good players than he was in the preseason. Uh I, I think that these guys are all pretty interesting and like the heat do a good job of putting them in positions that like make them valuable for what their role is. So look, I think that all these guys make sense. Like and the other guy, like sneaky, by the way, that I thought was like interesting. I know that, you know, the highlight of the preseason was Victor Wembanyama like dunking on Thomas Bryant. I thought Thomas Bryant looked like pretty good in the five games he played like this preseason. Like I thought he was pretty solid. Yeah, I've always thought Thomas Bryant was a fine NBA player. And if that's what the Miami Heat get from him, that's okay. They don't need him to be a superstar. They just need him to be a fine quality NBA player. I've always kind of been a fan of of Thomas Bryant. And you're right, he turned into a meme or a gif or whatever it is now. But he, I mean, Victor's going to do that to a lot of people. So that's right. Okay. Next up, the Milwaukee Bucks. So just who emerges the depth pieces. So like we feel good about, you know, obviously Dame, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez. I feel good about Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis as like the fifth and sixth guys. Malik Beasley had like a pretty good preseason. Like I know he had at least one big game. I did not love what I saw of like Marjan Beauchamp in the preseason. Uh, it seemed like he was like kind of struggling for a role a little bit. I did like what I saw of Andre Jackson mm-hmm. for the pre in the preseason. So who among these guys is able to really just like eat the innings in the regular season, right? Like, and then who can be the fifth guy? I think is going to be Connaughton. Like I'd imagine that they'll close with Connaughton in the playoffs next to those four. But like who? C- who can eat the innings in the regular season to me to get these guys some rest, I think, as much as anything. The preseason games I watch, I think Malik Beasley is going to be that guy that, like, do you think they actually start him and bring, at least in the regular season, and bring Connaughton off the bench? Well, it's plausible. Like, it's not impossible to me. So I, I think Beasley could be one of those 82-game guys who maybe then you get to the playoffs and you don't trust him as much. And if you were starting him, you start him, but he comes out four minutes into the game and he only starts the first half and the second half. But I think he can eat a lot of minutes. He can get you some buckets. I I like what I saw from him. And then when you get into the playoffs, it's probably Connaughton, Portis, Crowder, and then you need one more, whether that's Beasley, Campaign, yeah, I didn't love Beauchamp. I loved Andre Jackson coming out of UConn, but he doesn't space the floor. A guy that does space the floor is AJ Green. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch throughout the regular season. Who is that eighth and ninth guys that when they get to the playoffs, they're really going to be able to trust. That's what I'm going to watch for with the Bucks more than anything. Because I think we all believe that Dame Giannis is going to work. As long as there's no yeah. group. I guess Chris Middleton coming, you know, like how good is he going to be is, is another thing. Yeah, like how healthy can Chris yes. be long term throughout the course of the season? Definitely agree with that. Uh, yeah, no, I think this is uh, this is the big question. If I had to pick one right now outside of that top six, and by the way, we should mention like AJ Green as well. I think is like a potential option here. I do think you're right. Like I think Beasley will start for sure and, and will be like a useful floor spacer in the same way that. Grayson Allen was for them probably. Right. I think I would go Andre. Like, okay. I love I think it. I love Andre's it. processing his defense. Like he's super athletic, Sam. 
I think he can be like Christian Brown was last year. I okay. really do. No, I, I love Andre. I, I love him. I think he is super athletic. I think he's a ball mover. He's a high field guy. I think you can go put him in the dunker spot. So like as a non-shooter, I think he's athletic and aware enough. You can go down there. You can catch and finish and he can cut an offensive rebound. And then I think he can defend. I just, you know, I just wonder as a rookie, as a non-shooting rookie, is he a guy that you can then actually play in the playoffs? That's what I wonder. I think he can be an innings eater in the regular season, but when we're just talking about that seventh, eighth, ninth guy in the playoffs, I just wonder. Yeah. This team does not have like a ton of question marks to me though. Like we're, we're on like seventh, eighth man, like <laughs> kind of similarly to Boston. Like th- that team is so good. Yep. Uh, okay. Let's go to the Knicks. The New York Knicks. Who is the guy that breaks out for the New York Knicks this year? Is there like a, not even like a surprise because these guys have been around for a while now, but is it RJ Barrett takes a leap in terms of his efficiency? Is it Emmanuel quickly taking another jump? Is it Quentin Grimes going from like solid defensive base starter to two legit two way wing who becomes a lights out three point shooter, great defender and has some like on-ball capabilities because we've seen those flashes from Quentin before. I think I'm going to go Quentin Grimes. I think I am too. I love it. Tell me why. No, I just, that's the one I'm buying into. And it's nothing against quickly. I think quickly is a good player. I'm not sure there's another step. Every time I watch RJ again, I realize he's a good player, but like I see the inefficiency and I just feel like maybe that's who RJ is. And I hope for RJ and the Knicks that it's better. Grimes is the one that I just watch him and I love the jumper. I think it's real compact. He competes defensively. I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. And so he's just the one that I'm going to buy here in terms of there's another leap in his game at just 23 years old. I love it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it's Quentin and I think he's going to be a legit, like, you know, if not middle of the pack, like maybe like above average shooting guard starter. Uh, I I really, really like what I've seen from Quentin Grimes so far. And I think Quentin is a genuine, like real dude that can really play. Like that's, that's always been my take is that I think he's going to be like a good, useful uh, you know, rotation player in, you know, a playoff lineup, right? I think he's more than that though. Like he's, the, the ball skills are coming is why. Like you, you see these guys that are six foot five, six foot six, who start out as point guards, but don't really have like the shake and separation to like be point guards on more condensed courts, right? Quentin, really needed the shot to develop, I think, so that guys would close out on him hard so that the rest of the ball handling ability that has always been there can then like actually be aggressive. Like you can play off of the shooting a little bit more. That's the key for Quentin. Like the, he has those skills. The shooting is there. I think we're in for like, you know, Quentin Grimes averaged, I think like 11 points, three rebounds, two assists. I think Quentin Grimes goes for like 15, 16 a game this year, you know, maybe five rebounds, three assists per game. And is like a huge critical part of what I think is going to be a big Knicks season. 47% from the field, Sam, 
39% from three on almost six attempts a game. Really good team. Rap Stallion brings up why this question is really hard for me, though, is do any of the guys we mentioned even get bigger roles, including Quentin Grimes? Does he get a role to really, as Rap Stallion says, spread his wings to make this leap? I think yes, because I think that – so, like, I, I kind of disagree with the premise of that, if only because, okay. you know, Quentin played 30 minutes a night last year. Like, he got – he got a shot. Like, Emmanuel quickly, when he came in games, like, he play, he averaged 15 a game. Like, he got a shot playing 29 minutes a night, right? Like, now, they acquired Josh Hart midseason, and that cut into some time for everybody, right? And signed Dante this summer. And signed Dante this summer, but like I think Dante is going to be like a twenty minute a game guy, twenty to twenty two minute a game guy, and like they have a lot of minutes beyond those guys to eat, right? Especially if you play maybe a little bit smaller. I, yeah, no, I, I buy the Knicks this year. Like I'm, I am all in on the Knicks, Bailey. Like I think they're going to be close to like a fifty win team this year, if not a fifty win team. So Love it. I, I am, I am in on the New York Knicks this year. And I'm in on a big leap from Quentin Grimes. I'm in. Okay. The Orlando Magic, what guard becomes the fifth guard for this team this season? Or the really the second guard, the fifth player on the court, but like the second guard. We trust Markel Fultz, Franz Wagner, Paulo Bancaro, Wendell Carter. They have Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, you know, Anthony Black, Gary Harris, right? Gary Harris, it seems like, is going to come off the bench. Who ends up being that fifth guy that is able to come in and play? I want to say Jalen Suggs so, so bad. Like that, I want, I want that to be my answer. My mind is telling me Cole Anthony. I'm going to go, I'm going to say Jalen Suggs. I'm going to say it really clicks for Jalen Suggs. That's a really good defensive backcourt between Suggs and Markel Fultz. And then as Dax Hoop says, I really like Anthony Black. Long time. I, I was a big fan of Anthony Black in the draft last year. Uh, maybe as he says, maybe not right away. I think long-term though, the, the shots got to come around a little bit. I do think, and I, I think Anthony Black can play off ball because his feel is so high and I think he can move and cut and all of that stuff. But I'm going to go – I'm going to say Jalen Suggs. I'm going to say it's Jalen Suggs back there with Markel Fultz. I am also going to go Suggs, but people know that I'm a fucking mark for Jalen Suggs. So, like, whatever, right? But I really like what we've seen from Jalen in the preseason so far, just in terms of being that connective tissue player, uh, being the guy that plays really, really aggressive, high-level on-ball and off-ball defense – uh, being able to move the ball quickly, making quick decisions. Look, at some point, teams are going to have to guard him as a shooter for it to like really truly matter. But you know what? Like, he did shoot thirty six from three in the preseason in these three games. Like, maybe there's something there. I guess that the other name we probably do have to throw into this a little bit is Jet Howard. Sure. Jet Howard okay. did have a couple of really solid preseason games. I thought and. You know, six eight wing can really shoot it. They obviously have Joe Ingles as well, but it seems like Joe is going to be like a bench stabilizer for them. My my read is that it Suggs is going to get the first shot at it, and I think he will thrive for the most part. But I like I guess I kind of 
can't sleep on Jet Howard just given what the role is, right? Yeah, uh, sure. I, I wasn't the biggest Jet Howard guy. And so, um, again, nothing against Jed. Like, he can really shoot it, and maybe that is, you know, the role, and that's what they need. But, um, yeah, I'll stay with Suggs. Yeah. No, I love it. I'm here for – I am definitely here for – Jalen Suggs. I mean, I think Anthony Black is just going to take a minute. Like, sure. I, I'm almost expecting him to like be in the G League at some point, if not sure. like to start the season. Just because, why wouldn't you get him like real point guard reps? And you know, if he's not going to get them to start the year because you have Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz, you know, just put them down and you know, and, Lakeland, and, f- and just roll. And Franz and Paolo, who can also <laughs> create and initiate offense pretty well themselves. Yep. Okay. Next up, the Philadelphia 76ers. James Harden, question mark, period. <laughs> like, I mean, James Harden, that's what it is. Like, it, so look, beyond like what we've talked about with James throughout the course of the offseason in the last month, because we've talked about James ad nauseum at this point. Yes, absolutely. Who are the guys you trust most to step up in James's stead if James does not play? Yeah. So like, this is interesting to me and I'm not going to be like, Oh, this is the best thing for the Philadelphia 76ers to trade James Harden. That's I'm not saying that like I'd be crazy, but I just wonder, we've talked about Tyrese Maxey at nauseum as well. Right. And you broke it all down. This completely lets Tyrese Maxey be the guy and go and maybe turn into an all-star caliber player, or at least have the role where maybe he's already that guy, but now he has the role to do it. Watching, the preseason games, I really liked DeAnthony Melton. I thought he looked really, really good. And he averaged, again, preseason, but 18 points on 49, 44, 71 shooting splits, five rebounds, five assists, two and a half steals. And then Jaden Springer did some decent things, shot the ball extremely well also. So I'm not saying any of these guys are James Harden. I'm not saying this team is better without James Harden. I'm just wondering if maybe you let some of these younger guards really flourish in his absence so maxi is the easy answer here right like maxi is going to be maxi and he's going to have to be like the primary creator on the perimeter right let's remove him from this yep melton has been quite good i do agree with you i also agree with you on Springer Springer is like kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do this thing. Right. Like I kind of had like, we slightly like altered the idea of what we were going to talk about, like throughout the process here. Um, But I love what I've seen from Jaden Springer this preseason. He's been super aggressive. He brings energy every single time he's on the court. He like, he needs to be in their rotation from day one. Like he, he has to be on the court for them for 15 minutes a night, at least because the defense is really high level. Like, I don't know if teams are going to trust him as a shooter or like believe that he's a shooter or not, but I I just love the aggressiveness, the confidence that we've seen from him. He's been super attack oriented and aggressive thus far in the preseason. Like he averaged like 12 points or so uh, per game. Like I I really, really think that Springer is a dude that they have to play like a decent amount. 
Yeah, I'm in. I, I I really liked how he looked, and he he's strong. Like you said, he was aggressive, and and again, it's preseason. We only got four games, so like the, the three point shooting numbers are so ridiculous. I almost don't even want to say it because obviously yeah. it's not like something he can consistently. Well, he do. he made five. He made like five of his six threes. That he yeah, took. yeah. So it's it you know sample size, but I just thought he looked good, and so it made me intrigued enough to go, man. If Tyrese Maxey is as good as what a lot of us think he is, and DeAnthony Melton is pretty darn good himself, and if Jaden Springer is closer to being ready, that's an interesting backcourt that I can get behind a little bit with the Sixers without having James Harden for a year, and then you have all the cap space to go acquire whatever you need based on how good those guys actually are. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I've... Those have to be the three in the backcourt for me, though. Like, I, you know, Patrick Beverly, I think, will certainly play minutes. And, like, sure. Pat Bev, like, is a great culture guy, it seems like, to have around a team. And, like, Pat should play, you know, 20 to 25 minutes a night for sure. But, like, you know, definitely Jaden Springer over, like, Danny Green over, you know, Daniel House. Like, some guys like that. Like, I, I think it's uh, – honestly, like, I'd be playing Jaden Springer over – like PJ Tucker, to be honest, but like, I get it if they feel like they need to play PJ at the end of the day. Um, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic about Philly than what I was. But so like, that's how, that's really? how I am. No, I, yeah. I, I, I will just be straight up. I was, cause I actually thought Danny green looked like, Oh, Danny can give you 10, 15 minutes a night. I'm not saying he's no longer yeah. the Danny green that we all loved, but during the regular season, he can knock down some shots. Paul Reed is is interesting in, in the backcourt. Like you still like Tobias, I don't know, but he's still a good quality player. You know, if I mean forty million dollar player, probably not. But just like with Ben Simmons, like he's he's a quality NBA player. So I just I found myself being more excited about watching them and intrigued with. They're not better than Boston or Milwaukee, but I, I don't know. I found myself more positive. That's what I'll say. Yep. Okay, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, so I, I just have two real questions with the Raptors. A, like, are they good enough to where this roster looks like the same thing in two months, right? Like, I, I just don't know the answer to that. And then number two, I've liked what I've seen from Scotty Barnes in the preseason. Like, they're letting him, like, run the show a little bit. They're letting him, like, really kind of be the guy. Do you think that a Scotty Barnes, like, you know, point guarded, maybe not led because Pascal is still there and he's obviously going to get like a majority of the offensive touches, but like a Scotty Barnes point guarded team can right now, not three years down the road when he's 25 years old, uh, can that team right now be a consistent contender based off of what you've seen? contender as in like we're actually talking about for the being... playoffs like for the oh, six okay. seed yeah i think so like i think scotty's a good player i don't even hate this path and this vision for the raptors like let's find out like let's find out if scotty can really do this let's see what his ceiling and what his max potential is let's find out right now Let, let's go for it and don't you want the answer to that, Sam? At the end of the day, you need yeah. to know that so you can decide how to move forward. And if that means, hey, now we can move forward with Pascal because they're not operating in the same space, perfect. 
if it means, well, we need better spacing than Pascal around him, now you can trade him. Does OG fit next to that? I would assume he can because OG is the kind of player that just fits with everybody because he's really good and defends. And but you know, like it, it I think it helps you decide some decisions that are really coming up for this team, right? Like they got some real decisions they're gonna have to make. And some of those, I don't know if you want to take them into the offseason. So you may have to know them by game 50. And I don't hate the the question you're asking is, can Scotty be this primary creator and find out the answer to that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's a, that's a really, really good point. I mean, in the preseason, Scotty Barnes averaged 18 and a half points, six rebounds, three assists, three turnovers, 63% from the field, 50% from three. Uh, I loved like I, I have no you know real notes on Scotty's preseason. Like I'm not gonna you know nitpick that in any way, shape, or form. I thought he was terrific. And uh, look, I, I don't I don't know what the regular season is gonna hold for him, but I know that he showed enough this preseason for me to go. Okay, we got to play this out now, and we got to see what it looks like because like he might go like you know eighteen. 18 six and six or 18 you know five and five or something like that right like that's not impossible no no i mean it's it's a real outcome for him and um yeah I, like you say i'm all for it let's find out let's see what it is yeah no th- that's the, the and look like if they don't play well then you move pascal you move og and you see you know what you can get back and you build around scotty and you go from there right yep Agreed. uh Mel 75 asks, how would you compare Cade and Scotty in terms of their respective spacing situations? Uh, the, the big thing for me is just the Raptors have two guys in Pascal and OG and Anobi that are drastically better than anybody else. The Pistons have like, it's yeah. just not, not really. A, it, it's, it, it, it makes life just a lot easier. The, those if two you- guys are so, so much better than anybody on the Pistons. I bet if you compared, and obviously I haven't done this, if you compared career three-point percentages, the Pistons, because of Joe Harris, Monte Morris, Alec Burks, and I'm forgetting one. Um, uh, who's the other one? Oh, Boyan. Uh, duh. Boyan Bogdanovich. Yeah. My bad. Uh, it is better, right? Like, if you just lined it up, it would look better. But when you're just talking about top-end talent, it's not even close. Well, and you talk about, like, who – is actually playing with K yeah, 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 as yeah. well. Correct. Like it's just a totally different. Yeah. It, it's different. Like Scotty's in a better position. It's just that, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Scotty's playing better uh, right now, frankly, than Kate is. So th- that's also a bigger piece of this as well. Uh, let's move on. Last yep. team, the Washington wizards. Uh, quick thoughts here on Denny Avdia's four year, $55 million extension. Yeah, I I just, it's interesting because have they allowed Denny to be who Denny is? Like, that's my question, I guess. Have they, have they put him in a position to be the best Denny Avia or is that not who Denny is? Is he not this like really good passer kind of creator, interesting wing? Maybe that's not who he is. What has I think the best thing he's done has been a pretty good defender. Like when I've watched, I've always come in defensively. defensively. And so it's like, all right, well, if if you're not going to let him do what he does best or supposedly does best, then why are you signing him up for four more years unless that's the plan? Some, but they're not going to put the ball in his hands. It's, they're going to give it to Jordan Poole and let him cook. And 
And then if he doesn't have it, it's probably going to be Tyus Jones. So does Denny get the ball to do that? That That's what I'm struggling with this a little bit is just like, what is the role for Denny? Uh, is he actually like, is he a good enough shooter to be a floor spacer? Yep. Probably not. Uh, is he a good enough ball handler to give him the ball and go? Probably not. Like, honestly. Yeah. But I think if the shooting was there, it ties everything together. So like, this is a $55 million bet that within the next year and a half, let's say, Denny Avdia learns to shoot and then has the gravity of the shot to allow him to make plays off the bounce, to use that processing and passing ability that he's shown throughout the course of his career at lower levels. Uh, this deal like just didn't make a lot of sense. And, and by the way, if Denny does that and like does learn to shoot, he's worth way more than 55. I say this, I think. this is a steal, right? Like, they're, they're... like there's no question. He's worth way more than 55. But if he doesn't, he's worth way less than 55. Yeah. So in my opinion, if I was Washington, I would have wanted another season of evidence in order to learn all of this, I think is where I'm at. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, So just look, the Wizards are the one that I struggled with the most in terms of like trying to figure out like, because look, they're, they're rebuilding. They're trying to figure out like who their core is and they don't really have like the guy yet on the yeah. team. Yeah. I, like, I don't, what, I, what's the question, right? Like it, the only, this is going to sound so bad. I apologize to everybody else. The only player I really care about on that team for the wizards. That's the way I'll phrase this. The only player I care about on that team for the wizards. A lot is Bilal Koulibaly. Bilal is by far their most important player moving forward. It's not real, not real close. Is there anybody close? I I always kind of like Daniel Gafford, but, and you know, he's going to get a chance this year. The the guy that I think is like number two is probably Kispert to be honest. Yeah. 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 Um, I I think Corey Kispert is like a legitimate starting caliber, like wing because he is probably going to be one of the 10 best shooters in the league. I mean, last year, Corey Kispert averaged 11 points, three rebounds on 50, 42, 85, like Kispert is a genuine guy, I think. So I, I would say him, Johnny Davis matters because they have yeah. him under cost control, but like, you know, I, I don't know if we've seen enough from Johnny to feel good about where that's going right now. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, can Johnny Davis become a, a player? Like what, what is he going to be in the NBA? So that would probably be number two for me. Cause I'm kind of with you. I think Kisper is a NBA player, like at least rotation player, just because of the shooting, if nothing else. So it's how good is Bilal? And then can Johnny Davis become an NBA player that we haven't, that we didn't see in his rookie season? And it's okay. Some guys don't look that way in their rookie season, but can he become that? It's just really interesting with the rest of the roster. It's like, what do they prioritize? Because again, I think Poole and Kuzma just think this is their squad and they are going to run the show and take as many shots as they want. And it it will be interesting. Yeah. There are going to be times where that's a tough team to watch. Okay. Bryce, let's get out of here. Uh, Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. 
I think we did a decent job actually on this one. Uh, did okay. At Motor City Hoops on Twitter and then the Pistons Pulse podcast. If you're a Pistons fan or listen, guys, if you're a fan, we interviewed Arn Tellum for the podcast on Tuesday. So if you're just interested in, you know, somebody that was an agent and then, you know, is in the front office with the Pistons, that was pretty cool. So check that out. And then all my draft content is on Draft Digest by uh, SI.com. Go follow Bryce's work. Bryce is the best. Uh, please, by all means, go look at his work. He does a great job. Go to the Pistons Pulse podcast. Uh, this has been the Game Theory podcast. Today, uh, as of right now, I have top 20 bigs for college basketball this season out over at The Athletic. I've written guards and filed it. I don't know when it will go up. I'm guessing at some point this week. Could be today. It could be tomorrow. Who's to say? I don't know. I don't make those decisions. Uh, I'm also doing wings a little bit later on this week as well. So that will be coming. Go, you know, wait for all of that work. And until next time, we'll talk soon.